You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hey, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I'm going to be your videographer host, Abraham. And I'm going to be your, um, God, I wasn't prepared for this, your huge music video fan, Shane. Nice. (laughs) And this is a psychology podcast. We like to talk about psychology things. And today we're talking about something that doesn't sound like a psychology thing, but we're going to make it a psychology thing because we can do that. Yeah. Wherever humans are, we can make it a psychology thing. Yeah, right. I mean, to be fair, like if we get into like certain things, like certain videos, like if we talked about Genesis's Genesis, 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 <laughs> Genesis, Genesis, if we talk about Genesis, the land of illusion music video, it's the most horrifying, psychologically disruptive music video I've ever seen in my life. So almost on level with Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, this has scarred me. Like, oh, man. I, I forgot about this video and I was like, oh, God, these puppets are horrible. <laughs> well. I suppose that that one's going to have to go on the list. And speaking of which, <laughs> this is going to be a an episode of lists where we're yes. going to say so just so many things. But in addition to that, what we wanted to do is unpack music videos. I mean, not mm-hmm. necessarily the messages that are conveyed in music videos, although that would be fun, but more like how do these work? Why do they work? Why do people do them at all? And where'd they get started? That sort of thing. Because it's an interesting thing to think about. Like music doesn't need a video. Right. Arguably videos need music, but I think people have done videos without music that work. Yeah. But this pairing seems to go together very nicely and people really like music videos in particular when an artist releases a new single, it's usually accompanied by a music video and they have turned into these like big budget productions. Like it's a whole ordeal. Yeah. What was it? Michael Jackson's scream was like the first million dollar video that was made or something like that. Or like, it was like, they had like, it was like the most expensive video ever at the time it came out. And Taylor Swift's video, she saw the budget and said, look what you made me do. <laughs> this is, oh my God, I'm going to, this is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. You know, I was thinking about this as we were kind of talking about this is like, it feels like music videos were a fairly new phenomenon but they're not yeah that's that's a fact so actually let's go ahead and get into this so debatably music videos began in some form as early as moving pictures specifically moving pictures with audio and when once those became mainstream such as we're talking all the way back in the 1930s and 1940s Mm -hmm. however history.com does offer the suggestion that thomas edison when is it not Thomas Edison? Of course, of course, Thomas Edison. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That he created the first music video known as the Dixon Experimental Sound Film, mm. a name that clearly stuck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this t- that actually totally sounds like an indie album title from ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Neutral Milk Hotel record. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's all about <laughs> syllables. That's where we're at. And so in this video, it featured a popular opera piece on violin that was playing while it, two men were dancing on the film. Um, that was what was being depicted. The audio and video were projected and played simultaneously. <gasps> amazing. <gasps> what? On what Edison called a kinetophone. And given that none of us has one of these in our living room today, the contraption clearly did not make it to round two of R&D. <laughs> right. So, but I mean, one thing that we do see is that movie theaters began showing motion pictures with sound on film in the 1920s, mostly showing vaudeville acts, opera singers, and other popular musicians of the day. Not long after, the bouncing ball 
prompt over lyrics became a staple of sing-along videos forever. So I remember seeing those a lot. You yeah. See, you still see those in like, uh, unlike Sesame Street and stuff. Sure. Yeah. It's got to know where the, where the syllables land so that you can mm-hmm. sing along in the right place. Yep. Now, filmmakers combined efforts with musicians to add another layer to the narrative that could help capture the message, the story, or the emotional piece of the music. So that's one of the reasons to do music videos is to just help create another type of medium to illustrate what's happening with that piece of music, what it's trying to convey. Of course, there are many music videos where it do- does not do that at all. But, you know, that's, that's at least one reason why there was some motivation to do this. Fun fact, Tony Bennett, probably among others, claimed in his autobiography to have invented the music video. A 1953 clip of him walking along Hyde Park while his song Stranger in Paradise played in the background, later inspiring Yellow by Coldplay. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Others say that Bohemian Rhapsody changed the game, so to each their own, I suppose. Anybody can say anything. Yeah, it's kind of like when Dr. Evil says, my father invent- would make the outrageous claims that he invented the question mark. <laughs> so <laughs> the the format of music videos was a bit abstract early on. Think back to the endless reels of bizarre footage of the Beatles in the 1960s in strange contexts like pools, open fields, random buildings, weird outfits, running away from people, running to people. It's just kind of a strange, strange time. And all of it served a purpose to extend an image beyond that of the music itself, like Tommy by The Who is an entire movie where, I mean, essentially a musical could be considered a movie, a music video. It's just a long form, right? A thriller is so long that that's basically like a short film. Yeah, exactly. So when we start looking at this, you know, by millennial standards, you might argue that they were, quote, selling a brand, right? So that's what was kind of going on. It It was part of a product. But in the Beatles case, their brand was far cooler than some chump on TikTok, but debatable. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) I mean, you know, I've seen some pretty, uh, some very cool people on TikTok. Word. So nonetheless, these videos acted as promos that could be televised in different parts of the world to gain exposure. So think of the Beatles before and after the Ed Sullivan show, which gave them US, uh, gave the US a visual representation of these funny dudes from Liverpool. It wasn't even a music video in a traditional sense. They were playing live on TV, but the visual edition went quite a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Then comes the behemoth, arguably the big bang of music video existence. We've all come to know and love (laughs) and then hate, (laughs) which was MTV or music TV. Long before it became a cesspool of trashy reality programming, it was an exclusive arsenal of the hippest music videos of the time. A little bit of trivia here. The first music video ever broadcast on MTV, which timely relative to this episode coming out. Yeah. Merely 40 years ago. Yep. At 12.01 a.m. on August 1st, 1981 was Video Killed the Radio Star by the Bengals. Indeed, it did. It is not the Bengals. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and call Alan out on this because he is he is a good he's a musician and he should know it's the Buggles. Buggles. And even I butchered that. Yeah, it happens. It happens. No, okay. you didn't but- butcher that. That this is these are Alan's notes. We're <laughs> we're merely we're me- merely vessels for the notes. <laughs> just a just a beautiful face to go on the radio. But doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that anything you put in the notes will be read? Kind of like Ron Burgundy. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, the amount of times I've had to edit out "fuck you, San Diego." <laughs> <laughs> There's so many question marks that have screwed up our stuff. Yeah, I'm Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> so 
In witnessing this phenomenon, somewhere in the world, Michael Jackson envisioned Thriller, AHA envisioned Take On Me, and somewhere out there, Marilyn Manson was imagining what would become the dope show. If you don't know, you're on your own. Please go <laughs> spend some time going down that rabbit hole. Indeed. that uh, That's a video. That is that is a video. <laughs> that's a thing. All right. So let's look at this. You know, music videos were kind of, I mean, this is, this is such an 80s thing, right? This is a sign of the times. Music journalist Rob Tenenbaum who is royal, I believe, <laughs> has described the advent of MTV as a distributor of provocative visuals that were profitable at the time, and probably still are, quote, sex, bling, and youth culture itself, end quote. <laughs> and elements of these components are sought after by all sorts of people, be it from deprivation or an attempt at nostalgia. Yeah, so how much does our affinity for a particular song have to do with the song being combined with a salient memory, like good or bad, right? Yeah. Like, what further power could a song develop when artificially combined with some other visual that we can watch, right? Some kind of visual stimulus, some kind of visual representation, some kind of storytelling, particularly some we desire, right? So sure. it makes you wonder what the effect of Pitbull videos are. <laughs> Really, truly, like, I've heard a lot of Pitbull, but every time I see his name, I, I see him. Right. Like, oh, yeah, it's Mr. Worldwide, of course. You see people dancing in the night, drinking, standing on top mega yachts, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well-dressed, bald. Everybody's bald. It's a very strange image. But so what's the message here? Be like Pitbull or at least play some Pitbull songs. And you, you too can be sipping Ciroc, wearing white pants and oversized shades and straddle the edge of a boat. That, my friends, is the American dream. Somebody's dream. So <laughs> that's not yours. You don't want to straddle a yacht yeah. with that with that podcast money, baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Patreons. We're my, straddling yachts. A mega yacht is an inflatable life vest. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So we've talked about more or less sort of where the timeline of music videos. Some people who claim to have been a part of the original music videos, and probably all of them were to an extent, right? Like all of this paved the way eventually led to this the buggles helped us uh make the the clear transition to mtv although it would have been it would have been somebody yeah but there was mtv all right so now we're transitioning into music videos as a form of art it's it's cool now and it can serve a greater purpose could the form of music video be restrained into a formula with some unique creativity injected to help it blossom to its fullest potential Red Brick claims that, quote, music videos are a focal point of what the artist hopes to express through their music, and it forms a substantial part of their creative vision, end quote. And also that, quoting again, the visual impact of, vi of a video can be just as powerful as the music, end quote. So video expands the expressional potential of the artist's vision while creating a more intimate bond with their audience, particularly later on with the introduction of social media. So behaviorally, we could probably make the argument that combining one kind of like sense modality, right? Auditory yes. sense modalities right. with another sense modality, a visual sense modality can introduce some kind of unique associations. They can actually increase the rewarding properties, the rewarding value of a song to a listener. So what ends up happening is you might end up not really even liking a song that much, but when you watch the music video, you could possibly like it more. That's happened to me. Yes. I've like heard a song where I'm like, I don't really care about this song. And then when I watch the video, I'm like, oh, I actually really like this song. I lied. That actually happened with Dance Gavin Dance. <laughs> I didn't really like that band. And then um, that that well, the video with the, that you recommended, I was like, I love this song. It's yeah. one of my favorite songs. Right. That's exactly it. Is thinking of it. I mean, it always comes back to these cues again with the cues. Ah, the cues. It's just 
when you supplement those, when you have different, as you said, sense modalities is a really important feature here, that what you're doing is you're just increasing the possible things that you have to relate to. And that can potentially capture your attention and can provide some kind of interest, I guess, level of intrigue, because a really, really well shot music video can capture your attention while the inane who really cares song just sort of plays in the background of that music video and you're there for the visual spectacle of it. But as that's happening, you're also taking in that song, even though that song doesn't have very much to offer. It now has a experience that is a positive one, which was whatever that music video was. Yeah. And just as, just as you described that they, they can actually really carry the preference for a song well past what the song may have done on its own. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like maybe a lot of the listeners that we have here are probably from our generation where you grew up with music videos, you know, the first 15 years of MTV and then the next 25 were not right. Right. So like we kind (laughs) of grew up in that space where that was the case, where we got access to a lot of music videos and it became kind of this really cool art form. And some actual, some artists in the eighties took it to brand new heights, right? So you had take on me, Right, which is such a cool video. I mean, it still holds up. And Weezer's cover of Take On Me and their video is great because they cover the video as well. And Rubik Fish did Take On Me. I don't think they did an accompanying video. Maybe they did. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, it's, it's all fun, though. When they do it, it's great. Yeah. You know, you got Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer or pretty much any Peter Gabriel video is really rad. Nice. And we would be remiss without mentioning the pivotal thriller, which we talked about before. The famous Michael Jackson video that debuted in 1983. So that video came out in 1983 with the red jacket and all. And at the time, it cost over $900,000 to produce and was a whopping 13 minutes. It's one of the longest form music videos that came out in the era of like what we understand today as music videos. He referred to it as a, quote, short movie. Yeah. And it was a revelation in the form of visual storytelling. This video was notable among many reasons for being longer than the song itself. So the video is actually longer and it's got some narrative to it. What could that tell us about the music video movement? Perhaps that it transcended music altogether and began a synergy with true filmmaking, sure. occasionally leaning harder into the direction, in either direction, uh, like with Thriller, you see people kind of doing that. There's like these long form stories now that are really cool. So, yeah. And yeah. I mean, 13 minutes is like the average song length of Between the Buried and Me. So <laughs> right. all the music videos are short films. <laughs> yeah. And arguably, it's not even a song. It's a movement in a larger piece. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Definitely something that could happen. Yeah. So not to get super heady with definitions, but the next time you and your friend light up the the grav bong, (laughs) try this on for size. If Thriller at 13 minutes is a music video with a song embedded in a short film, why isn't Top Gun considered a 110 minute music video for Danger Zone (laughs) or Take My Breath Away? And 8 Mile is a long video for Lose Yourself. I watched 8 Mile recently. Arguably it is a Lose Yourself video because it like drops the beat and like random lyrics throughout the music. So yeah, or through the video. So yeah, it's it's a big music video. And The Graduate is basically just a music video for that that song. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson, whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah, Lemonheads. Like, great. Do you know how many times they played Danger Zone and Top Gun? <laughs> that song, every time I hear it, all I could think of is Danger Zone. Yeah, I mean, or every time I, I think I can't. Every time I see Tom Cruise, all I could think of is Danger Zone. Even think, in Mission Impossible, <laughs> that's fair. I think it's literally like five or six times that they play that song. I think in its entirety in that movie, like it's they, they get mileage out of their rights to that song in that movie. Yeah, I think don't they even play it during the volleyball scene? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> of all the scenes that make no sense, I mean, it's very eighties. It is a very eighties yeah. scene. 
Oh, man. So Thriller becomes an example of a new direction for music videos, right? So this is kind of a pivotal moment for music videos, offering a unique dance that becomes forever paired with the song itself. So everybody knows the hand movements, the the claws and all that. Right. And the shimmy over, you know, but it's nearly impossible to hear the song on the radio and not begin to the back and forth uh, zombie hands, right? That that kind of it's you can't sit there and listen to it and not do that. (laughs) Later videos such as the Macarena and, and Gangnam Style offer perfect examples of this as well. So you start seeing now you kind of pair it with those videos. Jackson himself popularizes moonwalk and many other moves for years to come within his music videos that those are, I mean, I, I like when you see those videos, you're like, I remember smooth criminal. I remember him dressed in the white suit and doing the, the, the lean right. in right. those videos, like I remember those so clearly, I mean the video for bad and weird Al's video for fat. I remember both of those <laughs> right. very clearly. So, and because there's very clear cues in those. Yeah, and exactly the the just coming back to the reason that this works is because the more sense modalities and the more preferred and desirable those events are that are paired with that song itself. I guess it's motivation to watch and engage with that song all the more. So in before we had sort of auditory medium mm-hmm. where you the the sense modalities being able to hear it and then you do you can sing along of course if that's something I mean if there's lyrics maybe maybe you sing along to instruments as well. Yeah, I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh <laughs> <laughs> what my singing sounds like. And then you have the music video where you then get to have some kind of visual that goes along with it and now you make that visual something it's like a cohesive story. So you have more actually emotional vested interest in it. Yeah. And then they add in dancing. So there's actually something that you can participate with in that music video. They're just layering on thing after thing after thing. That's more likely to make this stand out and resonate with you. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things about this too, is the idea that some film directors got their start shooting music videos. Cause right. it's a nice and easy thing. And like something like my, so my, my best friend lives in New York and he does this, like he direct, he directs music videos and like, he does like, he's a filmmaker, yeah. but he gets asked to do music videos all the time. He just came down to Florida to film a new trivium video. Whoa. Yeah. So like he does that all the time, but you know, you've got people like David Fincher, Spike Jones, F Gary Gray, Michael Gondry, specifically Gore Verbinski, the guy who directed parts of the Caribbean. Hmm right? Directed Bad Religion's American Jesus video. Wow. So, you know, everybody gets their start somewhere and it's just kind of an interesting space to see like, you know, how important this became for some of these folks as like a career, like stepping stone. David Fincher is definitely one of my favorite directors. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Spike Jones too. When you see some of his stuff, it's like just unreal. All right, so just to make sure we're clear, we've talked about the fact that these music videos give you an opportunity to sing along, to see a type of dance, to get emotionally interested in a type of story. But if there's one thing we know that will sell any product, it is sex forever. Of course it's sex. And always. Everybody loves it. That's right. Everybody, especially <laughs> the clergy. <Yeah. laughs> we need to cut that one. Nope. Leave that. We're leaving it. Okay. <laughs> so getting into the 90s i mean they'd been using sex as part of music videos for some time at least in some capacity obviously there was not overt sex but a lot of sexualization i think easily back to madonna and there's actually something i think empowering and her being in charge of this although i don't know how much this was her choice or producers telling her to do it it did seem like she was 
I think leading the charge of saying like, this is something that I get to do because you don't get to tell me how to use my body. I could be wrong about that. I hope that it wasn't an exploitative sort of thing. Yeah. But nevertheless, in the late nineties, we see the rise of Britney Spears as a pop icon and ultimately definitely a sex symbol, despite her very youthful age and look and a series of provocative and viral music videos launched her into, into the public eye, such as baby one more time, toxic and oops, I did it again are probably ones that most people are at least a little bit familiar with still. Yep. Speaking of Britney Spears, we are planning an episode a little bit more specifically on her her situation with the conservatorship that she's under. Yeah. But this is definitely another element of how to sell music videos is to put a lot of sex in them. Yeah. I mean, you think about like at that time too, like in the late nineties when we saw the rise of TRL and that became a whole social movement in itself. Right. For those young millennials, TRL stands for Total Request Live, yes, which is where people would vote on top 10 music videos, and then they'd play like five seconds of the music video. And you had Carson Daly was the host, yeah, and you would have to call in on a phone. Yeah, a telephone. You couldn't text it in. One that a was uh, like attached to a wall. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was interesting. And you would see, at the time, you would see Backstreet Boys and NSYNC compete with Korn and Orgy. So... You know, it was a very strange time for music. That was how I got to hear Nelly Furtado and Mudvayne in the same 10 minute window. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And then followed by that, you would have making of and you'd watch Blink-182 make all the small things. And then that was very popular. So the music video became a way to develop a brand. And you saw this when you go look at like certain boy band videos, like there's always a dance sequence. There's always some small story. A lot of times when you see like. I don't know, let's say LFO and 98 Degrees and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, they all have the one video where they're all wearing white shirts that are kind of unbuttoned and they're rained on at some point in time. Right. Like, that was kind of like it, you saw this kind of thing happen. There's a lot of silver at that time, too, because everybody thought the, tw- the 2000s were going to be space related and sure. everybody just realized it was just sad. <laughs> but no longer was a musician restricted to the auditory sounds coming from the radio. They were actually they had now a video and it, it was a big deal for a long time. And some artists would use music videos to express internal struggles across their career, such as the emotional, the, the emotion uh, that you see in Johnny Cash's Hurt. Oh, my God. I remember the first time I heard that. And that was one of the saddest music videos I've ever. I mean, the song itself was already pretty intense. Like the Nine Inch Nails version is already intense. But Johnny Cash's version is just haunting. Wow. Yeah. Or again, with Britney Spears in every time where she tries to escape the paparazzi. Hashtag free Britney. Hashtag free Britney. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, you see like there's pretty intense music videos. I mean, Sarah McLaughlin's videos are also already sad, but the, the song about the puppies already sad. It's the worst. It's the worst. You see that that commercial, I think for Geico, maybe where Lisa Loeb. Yeah. Gets on the guitar and sings <laughs> similar. Yeah. Similar wonderful. Thing. I yeah. love it. So I think there's there's been a sort of similar trend in, in what I would consider the style of Madonna, again, hoping that that wasn't exploitative and not necessarily knowing where you have some female artists who are sort of take the empowered stance of sexualizing themselves in a way that they feel, you know, they're comfortable with, which I think is great. And there's also still quite a bit of very male-led vid- music videos where they, they sort of hypersexualize no-name females mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways and that also seems like that has not slowed down in music videos for the most part so again just thinking about people use this in different ways you know, i was thinking about like wap for example 
yeah as being an example of the former where you have women who are sort of like you know what you guys sing about this stuff all the time i think i can sing about it too and it worked and it worked it was great and it made tucker carlson's head explode which made it even better <laughs> and they have a, a similar a similar vein of that i think is um little nas x Mm-hmm. And um, is it Call Me By Name? By My Name? Is that the song's called? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. Also, you know, similar level sexualized fun music video. And then I think, I'm not going to call any artists specifically, but those who feature a lot of just dancing women who are very scantily clad who just get up in the camera's face and they they have no role in the music video other than to stand there and be scantily clad and be objectified by men yeah i don't think that that one is serving the same function for anybody and again it's like you know you've got like there's different types of videos right there's different there's videos that tell a story there's videos that are just designed to show like how much money somebody has or like a party like i mean i think of like some of the big like hip hop videos that were coming out in the nineties. And I mean, like I think of like specifically Jay Z and he like, it was like extravagant, Mm -hmm. you know, notorious BIG extravagant music videos and like nothing to do with anything other than like they're on a yacht doing some cool ass shit. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's really like awesome. And so like, I mean, you think about that and it's like, there was always some different vibe to these videos. And so every one of them were designed to enhance the song that they were, that they were performing. Side note appropriately enough this might be our most heavily beeped censored episode (laughs) (laughs) that's fair (laughs) all right so let's let's talk about what happened to music videos getting into early 2000s so this is the sort of great migration at the turn of the century mtv shifted its focus away from music videos instead to very trashy reality tv Mm -hmm. and we the collective we became enamored with tales of skinny dirtbag boys cursing out their girlfriends, mothers, teens raiding each other's bedrooms for phallic objects, shallow in-person Tinder swipes on a coach bus, 16-year-old privilege, <laughs> and not-so-real-world, except Austin. That season wasn't bad. <laughs> Shows and, like, road rules yeah. and, yeah, all that stuff. And then music videos were pretty much gone from MTV. Yeah, I mean, you could pretty much watch mtv now and it's just basically reruns of ridiculousness so yeah anyway this is when youtube starts to come out it's just out of nowhere just shows up in 2005 and all of a sudden you're not the mercy of whatever is playing on mtv at the moment right. right videos become on demand with exposure bent around constantly improving algorithms and word of mouth further anything deemed not good enough or too provocative for mtv was still fair game on youtube for a little bit yeah there's all kinds of stuff that you can see on youtube so Anyone could upload a video regardless of production value leading to what we have today in TikTok, Vine. It it was kind of this really important social media movement. Yeah. And I don't know who got in charge of MTV at the turn of the century and was like, people aren't here to watch music videos. Like, what? (laughs) That seems like that's what we do. Yeah. And so our brand. Yeah. So they seemed to think that people didn't want to watch music videos on music TV where music videos got their major start or became increasingly accessible and popularized. And so their turn away from music videos created that niche that YouTube was able to come in and exploit. And, and now others, obviously there are lots of places you can watch music videos. And, but now, yeah, now that we're back to music videos being available um, to people uh, much more easily and in their entirety, which I think is great. Yeah. So yeah, the, the power basically transferred. So what I mean by all this is that we were at the mercy of the people who were running television to have access to music videos. So they could kind of show us whatever they wanted. And we kind of just had to watch it because we couldn't just go choose music videos. Now, some other channels did start to exist. And there was an MTV2 that played more music videos, though still was a lot of hard garbage. 
and these other things that were out there. But for the most part, again, like there just wasn't a lot of competition and they could command all of our attention to things where, you know, people were paying them to sell viewers, whatever. And so what happened when we got the internet to start having videos is that power shifted back into the hands of the audience. Yeah. Now the artists are kind of at the mercy of their audience, which is kind of how it used to be. Like that's where it, where they were to begin with. Right. Yeah. And so you could argue at this point that without relying on MTV to do your dirty work of publicity, you really had to sell a solid product because a poor music video, poorly made song, a poorly made music video that might actually become an earworm that hooks you and it has you enjoying that, even though it's not very good. Now people are choosing things, which means there's more competition for people's attention, which I think is both a good and bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that definitely creates an opportunity for like, well, it's just the most shocking thing wins at this point. Not necessarily, sure. but you know, there was a new measurable change in people's and music video creation and people's viewing habits, similar to like likes and retweets and all that sort of thing. Yeah. As we well know, these created this sort of clickbait culture we now exist in and profits ride or die based on the number reflecting above whatever the phenomenon is. Yeah, I mean, think about this for a second. Like, you can see real-time data. When you go onto YouTube, you, when you go onto Ven, uh, Vimeo, not Venmo, when you go onto any of these things, you see how often this video from this page has been retweeted, it's been shared, it's been liked, it's been commented on. You can see this right away. That's kind of a cool thing. It's interesting, but then you also have, like, that group of people that will, like, downvote or, like, dislike a video or a movie or bad review a movie just because of the stars in it. Like, that's yeah. what happened with Captain Marvel. Captain right. Marvel was a fine movie. Yeah. But nobody liked Brie Larson for whatever reason. She's wonderful. Yeah. And everybody was like, boo! And then just, like, like downvoted it to oblivion, which was a bummer because it wasn't a bad movie. It was great. Right. Yeah, the trolls out there. Like, yeah. when you put the, the power in the hands of the people, you have democratization of your product, but you also give a lot of power to trolls. Well, that's how you end up with a research boat named Bodie McBoatface. That is a fact. <laughs> and Or Exploding Whale Park. Right. Yep. Yeah. So comments and the ability to share and engage with others online about videos had a substantial shift in how we consume the art form. So the bar had to be raised, right? And the bar could be raised by anyone reinventing the aspect of the medium. They could be doing something low budget. They could be doing something really creative. They could be doing something in their living rooms, which we saw through COVID and all that. Fact. And there are a couple examples, right? Like OK Go's treadmill video. It's literally four dudes choreographing a dance on four treadmills. That's all it is. It's a single shot. And it's incredible is a brilliantly done video it is still so is. much fun to watch even though it is at this point like over a decade old i think yeah oh i think it's i think it's older than that yeah. I mean, it might be closer to like yeah 15 years now yep yeah it's crazy or like the single ladies video is literally beyonce and two dancers in a white room like just going oh 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 oh, oh <laughs> you know and so for those of you who can't see this because this is an uh, audio format i did i just did the dance the whole dance like the whole got dance. away from the microphone in his room it was really glorious mm-hmm. yeah the whole hand thing and the whole like the the shimmy th yeah you could, you could so, see this by becoming a patreon member by the way <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So audiences could also express outrage, justified or not, about provocative material in certain videos. And you see this now, of course, obviously, people are upset about Little Nas X, which I good good for him. I love I'm like Lil all Nas about X. He, I'm so stoked that he is just like like upset so many people and just does not care. You you just go get him. Just go get him. But you know, you see memes become a common phenomenon as well, following a unique video, such as the Gundam style video, Wrecking Ball by uh, Miley Cyrus, or Hotline Bling by Drake. Like all of, all of a sudden, you start seeing this kind of stuff pop up in these social media movements as a result of maybe a single video. 
And even amateur content creators, full disclosure, we do not mean those idiots from the Fire Festival, <laughs> had an opportunity to start to create things. So again, basically what this was doing was pushing the budget, the required budget down to points of accessibility for a lot of people, mm -hmm. as well as making the ability to create this content easier to do with basic, like of basically available technology to a lot of people. Yeah. And so within a, such an abundance of, of material out there, it really put the burden on creators to be original and push the envelope and a video needed to offer something new to the world, such as a dance. We mentioned Gungam mm -hmm. style wild theatrics. That video here, here it goes again, or a stirring social commentary such as this is America. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things like that. Those are going to be now the things that are more likely to grab people's attention. Yeah. And then you see this continue to get pushed because in 2016, we saw one of the most prominent examples of the evolution of a music video. The full audiovisual odyssey of Lemonade by Beyonce, which is a visual album consisting of 12 songs, all threaded by a unique emotional theme made clear in the lyrics, the music and imagery. And men never looked at a baseball bat the same way again. <laughs> Side note again, the the parody they did on this on the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was so good. It was so <laughs> I haven't good. seen it. Oh man. Just if you just go on YouTube and look up the clip from the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and I think if you just put in like lemonade uh -huh. or something like that, you get to watch it. it. They did a really, really good and honestly, I don't know if it was a parody as much as it was an homage to that. Okay. It was fantastic. So that's great. I love it. Yeah. All right. So why do people make music videos? Now, we've already more or less given you the reasons, but this is basically a marketing strategy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, th there are a lot of reasons to do it, but I think at the end of the day, you got to think about the cost that's associated with this. And this is an investment, which means it is a marketing strategy. Right. And this just comes back down to these associations we've mentioned. You're building some kind of association with a brand, with a lyric, with a visual, with a song, with the artist themselves really bridging that gap. Yeah. And the opportunity of monetizing music video now exists. This is by incorporating product placement in videos. Very, very obvious. Yeah. I think like five years ago, you could not watch a music video that did not have beats by Dre in it. Like you couldn't yeah. do it. <laughs> any, yeah. any video that was made had beats by Dre in it somewhere. I think so much that it became a cliche of music videos. <laughs> right. But in addition to that, you have product placement for cars, clothing brands, beer, other types of alcohol, all sorts of things combined with the presence of the popular performer and song in an effort to build up that sort of brand. When you see someone on their phone on a music video, that is never their phone. Right. That is a prop that was given to them to sponsor a product, right? Yeah. And so pretty much everything that you see, if you can see any kind of label or name, it was paid placement to to be in that music yeah. video. So as a side note real quick, yeah. in the video that Kelly Rowland is using her sidekick to text somebody, you have to pay attention to this because she's upset that her sidekick is not working. It's not a great placement for sidekicks mm. at the time. If you're not familiar with sidekicks because it like the screen flipped over and all that. It was it was kind of a cool little product, yeah. but very of the times. Yes. The reason it wasn't working is because she was using Excel. <laughs> she was texting on Excel. So and it's very clear in the video that she's typing in like a like in a column, like she's not like, she's not typing in a text message. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sometimes the product doesn't work. I never bought a sidekick cause I was very, I was like, I don't need Excel on my phone. Right. I'm not going to try and text someone with Excel. You fool. Yeah. Doesn't. Yeah. 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 Nice try. <laughs> 
So anyway, this presented endless potential for advertisers to capitalize on a growing medium and reach a wider audience, of course. And artists transcended beyond an art form and began playing a dual role both as their as a musician and a brand ambassador or the face of a product. That that became something that that artist was then known for. So this is a this is a two way street here. Yeah, and this is specifically referencing like popular music videos or like videos that you're going to see from like major artists. We're not talking just about like the artists who are making independent music videos. I mean, it's still branding, like it's still like kind of creating an image and an art, but it's not going to have as much product placement or anything like that. But like to kind of talk about this a little bit and give some perspective on this thriller is the highest selling album of all time with 62 million copies of this album sold. Now, if you are somebody who is not of the buying a record generation, <laughs> there's a lot of listens and a lot of likes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good way to relate it. Yeah. So just to kind of give another, uh, maybe this is a metric that you all all understand as that over half a billion views on its official YouTube video are there. Now you can go look at the YouTube video and see ha over half a billion views. That's wild. Yeah. To think about That's 500 million. And <laughs> Sorry, that, that almost went right by me. <laughs> yeah. So <and laughs> there's no product placement in this. The only thing that's really kind of like that you take from it is like now everybody wants a red jacket right. like you saw in Wedding Singer, right? Sure. In the zombie dance, but those became products. And MJ needed nobody but himself to sell. He was the brand. On the flip side, Lady Gaga's nine-minute video for Telephone, which features 12 brand placements, including Diet Coke, Virgin Mobile, Monster Heartbeats, and Miracle Whip. Yes, Miracle Whip. I mean, yeah. Because when I think of a bad romance in the paparazzi, I think of Miracle Whip. Don't you? I mean, now I, I mean, do. <laughs> Now I do. Yeah. Now they're associated. They're paired. Yeah. I think all of the brands that are kicking themselves looking at, <laughs> at the number of plays on that and like, oh, I wish I could get, I could get in on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how you end up with like Taco Bell and a Nickelback commercial. Yeah. But never fear. I mean, if you're not on a paid version of YouTube, then you're, those ads are getting forced down your throat anyway, every yeah. 15 yeah. seconds. So yeah. Also, I realized I just called a Nickelback music video commercial and that never felt more right in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty fantastic like what a slip but way too perfect yeah yeah <laughs> shows where we're at really so right <laughs> so wh what does this all say about how authentically appealing a song or artist needs to be at baseline before they have to be paired with some pre-existing brand loyalties well maybe we're holding artists to lower standards now so long as they exist in proximity to things with uh, we already enjoy but that's not that different really from how things were to begin with if they could tie in you know a dance and also again going back to the fact that there were there were no choices in music videos in terms of what you watched your only choice was either yeah. to watch it or turn it off and you didn't get to actually choose a thing that you did watch really except again turning it off so it is different and it's just now a different type of association yeah. So for instance, was Gangnam Style an authentically good song? It's debatable, right? People, I mean, if you like it and prefer the type of music, you, you might find it. But each one of the 3.2 billion views it's amassed is another exposure to Mercedes and to Adidas, who both embedded their product in the video, right? So now you've got this wide array of people that are accessing this. Combined with the iconic dance, it's a slam dunk. Oopa! <laughs> this is why I always drink. <laughs> <laughs> gt's kombucha <laughs> so that i'm good and ready to record the podcast we should just start placing products i mean we've got ampeg that works right there you go that's right there you go ampeg amps 
if you like that type of thing or Gibson guitars. Yeah. I don't think I, all I have is books in my background. So I have toy robots and Ninja Turtles. So and Lego you know, Kevin Eastman, if you want to send me some Ninja Turtle stuff, that would be cool. <laughs> a representative from the data measurement company, Nielsen, which many people may have heard of from like the sweeps weeks and the Nielsen ratings, that sort of thing. Yeah. Indicates that product placement in music videos can contribute to a lift of eight percentage points on average and purchase intent and improved perception. So this is an mm. investment that can be worthwhile to these companies, given that they're not you know, solely funding a music video, but they can throw a few hundred thousand dollars at it if they're going to make a few hundred thousand dollars more by doing it. Yeah. And the, that effect was noticeable even when the product wasn't front and center in the video. So they didn't necessarily need to have it be shoved right in your face. As a matter of fact, I actually believe that that sort of tacky move might hurt the brand ultimately. So having it just off to the side, it's been shown to have the effect that they wanted to have. So presumably the very placement of a product into one's environment, increased responding and, and attention to an awareness of that product itself. And another thing we, we talk a lot about marketing on this podcast. Yeah. I actually, I feel like maybe we just need to do an episode just on marketing at some yeah, point. We should. I guess we kind of have in ways, but something there's an effect that happens that we should talk about at some point in the future where just the awareness, like the fact that you see it in a lot of places makes a brand seem more legitimate. So it's worth it to create a ubiquitous amount of attention to their, their label by having it show up in a lot of different places, because then you can at least think of, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. And if I if I have options and I don't know what they are, but there's one I've heard of, I'm just I guess I'll go with that one, you know. And so there is a tangible outcome to building just very baseline awareness of having your product feel like it is super common. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you'll see more overt examples of this too like you know we talked about like those like minimal placements but there's more overt ones that like you know you see gopro teaming up with the weekend who was already very popular yeah for sure but they promoted that their product via a 360 degree music video experience right Ooh. so now all of a sudden you've got this whole new thing that people are like oh bright and shiny and especially people who love technology will go and buy that right away without even thinking about it right so i mean this really is very similar to when you learn a new word meaning or you get like a new car or you hear a new song and then you start to notice it everywhere in circulation in everyday life. You know, that sort of effect that it's like, I just, I just learned this word for the first time and all of a sudden I'm hearing it everywhere. Yeah. Well, people have actually been saying it a lot. You just weren't really paying attention because you didn't know the word mm -hmm. similar to those cars. Like you buy that new car and then you notice everyone, every time that you see that car, it stands out to you. Yeah. Oftentimes we have the experience of feeling like, wow, I felt like I never saw that car and all of a sudden I see it everywhere. It's just those things that are immediately relevant to us. And the same is sort of accomplished here in these product placement advertisement strategies. You know, it might not even have to be a, a product itself. It might be that the song itself is associated with some kind of experience or some kind of interaction or something else. like the song is placed in a different product versus the product being placed in the music video. Right. So sure. like, for example, Pharrell's happy, right? We all know that song and I'm going to go out. I'm going to say Pharrell. I love Pharrell. He's great. You know, and NERD is like one of like some of the best music that's ever put out, but the song happy became this like huge hit around the world in 2013. And through its inclusion on the soundtrack of Despicable Me 2, the movie became a giant success. So the song itself was popular. You apply it to another product instead of the product being applied to the music video. And here we are. Everybody wins. Yeah. 
yeah sort of they lift each other up yes absolutely all right so i think that more or less wraps up what we have to say about the humble music video Mm -hmm. or not so humble music video as it were (laughs) yeah in in the event of scream by michael jackson and janet jackson yeah yeah so let's here's what i'd like to do let's go ahead and sort of let's wrap up with our take-home points and considerations and then we have some some recommendations for music videos that we're going to go long on to just sort of sell some things that we that stood out to us that were fun. So, music videos again just going back to this they began as a form of artistic expression that challenged a musical artist to move beyond the instrument and to include visual imag- imagery to tell a deeper story or convey an image. And I think this was done to an extent with sort of album covers mm-hmm. and there would be embedded art. You could see this with um, tools, a thousand days. Yeah. They really leaned into this idea of like pairing visual imagery, but creating these stories by creating these um, narratives and emotional connections and having mo- moving pictures as you will, I think you were able to just, you were doing a lot more with that visual medium, like a whole lot more than you could possibly do with a bunch of pictures that were associated with an album. So some told stories, some made social commentaries, others used this video as a form of rebellion against society or a grieved image. But really in short, no one does it for the same reason. There are lots of different reasons. The sort of shape and form it takes changes, it evolves, the function of the music video changes too. With endless partnerships, endorsements, placements, the industry continues to be profitable on many levels. And there's really no telling where it's going to go, which I think is you know kind of a fun idea. But that's you know sort of I guess a wrap up on on what music videos are. And I think there's the question of like, is this all selling out? Right? Like, am I like for for artists who are creating music, is it selling out to create a music video that's going to have some kind of product placement within that. It depends on how you look at it, right? If your impression of an artist is based on the quality of their music in a particular image, you might be turned off by seeing them paired with some kind of product that you don't agree with or some kind of unappealing product, sure. right? That makes total sense. Perhaps a musician who appeared to be emotionally invested in their lyrics is now dancing in an IHOP video and you do not like pancakes. You hate them, <laughs> which I don't know anybody who does, but <laughs> that'll kill your vibe real quick, right? Like if they're paired up with something that you dislike or despise, or see right? Kanye West tying his tether very closely to a certain ex-president. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, that'll do it. I can't. And speaking of that, I don't know the last time I listened to Kanye. I mean, it was effective for me, and I was like, oh, man, I really, but I really like my dark twist of beautiful fantasy. Like that's really good. Album. You know, uh, college dropout, they're really good. When you start looking at this from their perspective, you know what what are they getting out of it? What's the reward? Yeah, you know, very often money and attention, not necessarily in a bad way, right? If you're an artist, you want people to access your art. So that makes sense. And they found out a way to make it work by putting their face in some silly commercial for all of 30 seconds. I mean, there's a reason, though. There's like some artists that like maintain their artistic integrity, like the Beastie Boys have agreed not to use their music in different ads and stuff, especially after MCA passed. Sure. So they decided not to do that. Right. For example, all Shaq has to do is hold something and sales skyrocket. Right. Put the rock in a movie. And the box office soars. Performers often become larger than life. They become their brand. They become their product, possibly eluding all of those original ambitions. True. And our behavior changes as a function. And, and the behavior actually changes the function itself, too, like what we get out of it. And sometimes we might be artists for one reason, and we might become an artist for a different reason. And you can't really blame everybody for doing that if it's going to be something that they that they it's going to maintain or improve their behavior. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, I think that that more or less wraps it up. I guess I'll just, you know, in case it wasn't clear, saying that for for a lot of people, this is a marketing technique and marketing either for the song or the 
the artist or a dance and then definitely became an opportunity to, to put products in. But I think that there's, there's more to it than that. You know, there's just, there's a lot of reasons that this is used, but more or less it is bringing attention both to an artist, to a song, to creating awareness, to creating some kind of buzz and zeitgeist to get their 15 minutes of fame before you know they have to do it all over again with their next music video but mm-hmm. you know there's there's sort of this back and forth dance and um it's it's very interesting i really like music videos personally i do too for sure and so speaking of some music videos let's uh, recommend some music videos <laughs> yay recommendations this is like a mega recommend here i'm actually gonna start with Mm -hmm. alan so um we'll start by saying thank you alan for your notes and putting this together for us um great job with that work and so alan recommends except for the buggles thing i think that that got yeah the buggles thing really bothers me yeah (laughs) so alan's kind of music video uh are the tv uh the mtv unplugged sessions these are kind of cool live concerts yeah this includes nirvana alice in chains rod stewart pearl jam and aha's 2017 version of take on me which will crush you in ways you never dreamed, according to Alan. That is accurate. <laughs> Fair. It's pretty unbelievable. That guy's voice is incredible. Awesome. You know yours? Yeah. You know, I used to watch videos all the time when I was a kid. Like I was just like that. Like we, I just grew up in like there's always music in the house. And so here are a few that I just remember very, very fondly. So David Lee Roth's "Just a Gigolo." I ain't got nobody. David Lee Roth being the singer of Van Halen. Sure. And he went and did a solo record and that video was just a lot of fun. I haven't watched it in a few years, so I don't know if it holds up or it's should be canceled. But anyway, it's, it was a fun video. I remember struck anywhere's instinct, which is cool. Rancid's Ruby Soho is the first time I ever saw a Mohawk and was like, I love punk rock green days basket case, which is a weird and awesome video and made me fall in love with that band. Amon Amarth pursuit of Vikings, which just kind of goes into the idea of how ridiculous metal videos can be it's a bunch of guys who look like vikings and they're swinging their hair around in an abandoned house in the middle of the woods that's all it is but it's so ridiculous slipknot's duality which um i've played house shows this is pretty accurate the beastie boys sabotage which is the greatest music video that's ever been made and literally any okay go video because those guys are incredibly creative yes they're super fun to watch yeah all right mine is gonna be very telling of me (laughs) (laughs) music videos i recommend include tools schism music video Mm -hmm. Um, a a lot of tools videos are very a really cool interesting dark weird twisted super artistic uncomfortable but yes but schism in particular is one that always stood out to me yeah so dance gavin dance i recommended some of their at least one of their music videos before but they did a series of animated music videos that actually tell a story that follow the same characters over a couple of things. And so I'm just calling it the robot series, but it includes songs like young robot, son of a robot, death of the robot with human hair. I think to an extent, the song inspire the liars Mm -hmm. and then stroke God millionaire. Those are all seem to be part of the same sort of uh, story. And so if you can figure out the order to watch them in, (laughs) (laughs) those videos are really fun for that. Taking Back Sunday, Cute Without the E, Cut from the Team, is sort of an uh-huh. homage slash parody to Fight Club, the movie. The music video by Thrice, Image of the Invisible, I really think really like the music video. I think that that one was originally, at least in part, intended to be a promotion for Invisible Children Organization, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Polyphia Goat, this is a fairly simple music video, but it's, it's really well shot and it's cool 
sort of watch basically flips between the sort of light and dark side of this church as if they were on like opposite like one's right side up and the one's upside down mm-hmm. it's kind of neat and then protest the heroes heretics and killers where they do sort of a wizard wizard of oz thing and then finally periphery has a song called marigold this is all animated with sort of some simple 3d shapes but it's it's a really fun music video it's like a sort of western shootout sort of thing going on in it nice yeah. nice i like it all right anything else on this no i think that covers it okay let me say thank you for all the cool people who are going to get to see our dancing and gestures and all hear all the swearing because they joined us on patreon that includes <laughs> amanda justine layla megan mike m mike t and shauna thank you guys so much for your continued support if you'd like to join that group of people you may find us find out more about that on patreon you can go to our website to get a link to that and that'll get you access to our discord server as well as early release of music uh, music videos yeah <laughs> early release of music, but we have access to all of them in the world you'll get them early early release of our episodes you get access to videos of recording our episodes our notes it depends on what level at which you join but those are things that are available to you if you have a music video or would like to recommend a music video please reach out to us you can contact us on all the social media platforms or reach us by email at info at www.podcast.com I think that is that's all I have on that so if I didn't miss anything and I hope I didn't then this is Abraham and this is Shane we are out see ya You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.